hello and welcome to episode 113 of the 1099 for the week of October 9th, 2017. I'm your host, Josiah Renaudin, and with me today is the senior reviews editor at GameSpot, a semi-regular guest on the Giant Bombcast, and someone who's been writing about games since the late 90s, Peter Brown. Peter, not, I did not mean to immediately age you, but how are you doing today? I'm good, and I'm surprisingly not that old. I got a young start, which, uh, which we can get into in a bit, um, but thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. And yeah, that's actually what I want to get into right away. Because before we get into GameSpot and all the great view work you're doing over there, I, I, I love reading reviews at GameSpot. I always have as someone who, you know, freelanced there for a long time. But I really had no idea you were doing freelance work for PC Magazine as far back as 1999. I mean, was this and other freelance work something you were doing while at school with the hope that, all right, as soon as I graduate, I'm going to position myself to be ready made for a full time games media job? Was that always the hope? Uh, no, I, so it's, it's a really strange story and I think it's sort of unique. Uh, so I I grew up in a house, uh, with a father who wrote for PC magazine for about 20 some odd years and a brother who's about 10 years older than me, who also got into tech writing, uh, right out of high school. So it was kind of the family trade more or less. And the first thing that I wrote was the Sega Dreamcast review for PC magazine. And it was a simple thing where I, very sheepishly just, you know, asked my dad, like, oh, yeah, hey, any chance I could review Dreamcast for PC Mag? Ha ha. <laughs> and before I knew it, he was like, yeah, my editor's fine if you want to do it. So, I mean, you know, he didn't give me the assignment, but he definitely pushed it through. I'll admit, there's a bit of nepotism in my background. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I like to, th- you know, I like to think that I've sustained myself since then. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, I did stuff for PC Magazine because I enjoyed uh, thinking about games and thinking about tech and just sort of analyzing like what is great about these things, you know, what could be better. Um, and I actually ended up going to college uh, for visual effects. I have a bachelor's of fine art degree. Oh, wow. Um, my hope is actually to be involved in the process of creating games, but, uh, I more or less got a job at oneup.com uh, on the video team, uh, right before I graduated college and was there for a bit, uh, back before the shakeup. Uh, before UGO purchased them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I I didn't grow up, you know, an aspiring critic. Like, it, it, that wasn't a thing that was really a part of my uh, my drive. It was just sort of a something that fell in my lap. Yeah, and because it was kind of the family trade, which is hilarious. I've never really heard of a family that has that similar, like, okay, everyone writes about games or tech in some way. That's really awesome. But a lot of people who do have the ambition to eventually write at a Game Informer, GameSpot, IGN, or anything like that, I think there's this general understanding that it's really damn difficult to get full-time employment. It's hard to find a job because there aren't that many jobs out there, and the people who get them hold on to them for dear life as long as possible <laughs> because they're hard to get. So did you did you understand maybe the difficulties of getting the job or because it was a family trade and you had you know a dad involved in it, a brother involved with it at that time you were like all right well this is always an option for me because i have these tools already um you know there was there was a time when i got older uh after college especially you know when i started working at one up when i did sort of recognize like okay i had it really easy back yep. in the day i mean you know i I had been to the PC magazine offices and like, you know, seeing all the people bust their ass, you know, to make that stuff. But I never really got to understand the, 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 the precious, you know, identity of, of these jobs. Um, but, you know, once I was at one up and I saw the people around me and, you know, even some people at EGM and I realized, wow, like there's, there's something, there's something more to this that I didn't get before. And so I went through kind of like a, a growing period where I, 
I understood that like, you know, maybe back then there was something that I was striving for that I didn't, I didn't really know that I wanted. But now that I see like how it actually functions in the, you know, in the, in the office space, because my father was a contract writer. He did everything at home. Um, mm-hmm. And I never got to see like the, you know, the passion, the dedication and the hard work that goes into just the, the entire product. So w- once I got a taste of that, then I sort of realized uh, how lucky I had been and given the opportunities you know, that I had in the past that if I really wanted to make the most of them, that I, I actually needed to, to really try my darndest. And I, and I jumped through a lot of hoops to get this job at GameSpot. Uh, I, I lied about living in San Francisco. I spent, <laughs> all, spent all my money to fly out here. Um, and yeah, like it, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy industry. It, it's really strange. You lied about where you lived. You just like I'm already here. Don't worry about it. And then yeah. got on a plane. Yeah, I mean, I, so I had lived here before, and I had some friends uh, who were still around, and I basically contacted one and said, "Can I use your apartment as my mailing address?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's incredible. Um, yeah, and it all worked out. <laughs> Does Gamespot know that since then? Well, I guess they do now. You yeah. just said on a podcast, but no, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've made light of it several times. Oh, that's hilarious. And you did mention, you know, like right around end of college or during college at being at one up and trying some different things before you got the GameSpot job. Was there any period during that time between college and freelance and when you finally got a full time job where you started to lose hope that there would be this full time employment waiting for you? Because again, like we mentioned, not only is it difficult to get a job, but I assume right around the time you started working at GameSpot, GameSpot, the industry started to shift a little bit. I mean, it wasn't full video and let's plays and stuff like that and twitch streaming but it might have started to hint toward that way was there any thought in your head of like this might not be an option for me oh absolutely um so i i had moved to texas after floundering um post one up in san francisco for about a year uh, my girlfriend wanted to move uh closer to home and i said okay why not i'm not i'm not really making any headway here in san francisco and it's very expensive so i was working you know uh as prep as a prep cook as a barista and like trying my best to find freelance work, but it it really wasn't there. Um, And at that point I was like, all right, well, I guess I should just kind of look to, uh, to game development. And I I tried for about, about a year and a half, you know, applying to various places like, you know, Gearbox and it, and and all those, you know, spots down in Texas and, and nothing was happening. And I had kind of resigned myself to the fact that like, yeah, yeah, you know, maybe my future isn't in this industry. Like maybe I'll, I'll figure something else out. Um, get a job at a small IT company in Texas. <laughs> yeah. I, I had I had no idea. Um, but then I saw that these two listings had gone up at, at GameSpot, and one was for a news editor, um, which I applied for, and I was told that it's kind of already earmarked for somebody. This is just a formality. Uh, but then I applied for the strategy guide position, and right after one up, I had written one strategy guide. I think it was for Skate Three, um, for oh man forgetting the name of the site now it was associated with one up but that was essentially my my foot in the door to apply for the strategy guide editor job and Mm -hmm. you know yeah like i totally thought there was zero chance of me getting back into the industry so the fact that this that job opened up it was just like all right i I have to kind of put my best foot forward which included lying about where i live because i was (laughs) i was i was desperate you know to because i because i had a taste of it and i really liked it and and it was very unceremoniously just sort of taken out from under me um, yeah. at one up so uh yeah it was dire for a bit but um very thankful for the opportunity i've had to get back in and i wish there were more opportunities out there like it's it's crazy because we yeah. need, i mean we need more people you know what i mean it's not like we want to be this sort of small group uh 
that's just you know a handful of people writing we we would love to have as many voices on the site as we could yeah i mean but it's it, it's difficult it's difficult to you know i guess i would assume for upper management to justify that when you can use you can use freelancers you can use other means to get that stuff done i mean it's because like we've talked about it the industry shifted so much like there's still a focus on writing but maybe not an entire editing team or anything to that degree and it's funny you, you do mention you know lying about where you lived I, I feel like a lot of people probably have similar stories in terms of like where they like just immediately move when the opportunity arises because i'm the opposite of the person who will just there's a lot of people who are like i'm gonna move to la to san francisco without a job and just assume it's gonna go well and that makes my brain explode oh, yeah. just thinking about it i'm like that is unbelievably stressful like wouldn't you worry about this this and that but so many of those jobs if you're not in that right place at the right time even if you're qualified it's it's hard to justify moving someone from you know ohio to california to write a game spot or in your case texas to california to do something like that like there's so many opportunities there are opportunities out there but it's so much of it is getting your foot in the door like you mentioned having that like perfect kind of guide experience you had then you know them thinking you already lived there so it wasn't a huge move um and like different opportunities like that but it's difficult and when you did finally get the GameSpot job i mean the site was pretty different than it is now um writing was still i would assume writing was mostly the major focus there you had people like kevin van ord tom mcshay brendan sinclair um first off were you a fan of GameSpot, the old GameSpot with you know Jeff, Ryan, Brad, Vinny, and everyone like that, and then the newer GameSpot, Kevin, Tom, um, Brendan, everyone like that. And second, was it difficult once you did get there, once you finally got the spot you wanted, to watch those staff changes that were happening around you a few years later? Did you at all feel like the industry was kind of shifting around you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, a few questions there. Um, I'll start with, you know, my arrival at GameSpot. I, I was very much into to print game coverage. Um, and for many years, I had sort of only really focused on, uh, on 1UP. You know, prior to working there, that was like a site that I, that I looked to because it really spoke to sort of my particular interest in gaming at the time. Um, so I came to GameSpot not as a fan. Um, mm. I, I didn't have, you know, much, uh, history of, of following Jeff or Brad or, or Kevin or Carolyn or really anybody, which maybe was a benefit because I showed up and it, and it wasn't this idea of, um, you know, like fandom in a way. Yeah. Definitely a one up. There were people like, you know, working next to James Milky and like seeing, you know, people like Mark McDonald pop in the office. I was like, Holy shit. Like <laughs> <laughs> rubbing elbows, with these guys, but no, yeah. at GameSpot for me, it was, it was actually very nice to come into a place where I felt like, Hey, these are people just like me who really, who really care about uh, video games and just want to share, uh, you know, their insight. The team was very different back then. Uh, we had a reviews team that was um, run by Justin Calvert at first, and mm-hmm. I believe it was Kevin, Chris Waters, uh, Carolyn Pettit, Tom McShay. I don't remember if Sean McInnes was on the reviews team or not, but he would write reviews as well. But mm-hmm. a very different beast. I mean, we had people dedicated only to write reviews. And now I'm the only person like that. At your spot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the process of getting to this point, you know, it was definitely a little painful. Um, I've, uh, very painful actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it's, it's horrible to see people who put so much of their, their energy and, you know, they make themselves vulnerable to, you know, mass audiences just to, to have a conversation about video games and come and do that every single day. And then to see that taken away due to decisions that are so far removed from, you know, 
the quality of their work or the amount of effort they put into it. It it had nothing to do with any of that. It was it was all business as usual, you know, and very troubling. And I was actually let go from GameSpot. Um, Wait, I, I totally missed this. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you ask about you know, how was that? It was very strange for me because I, I was let go I, at the time. So they hired me as strategy guide editor. Very quickly, they were sending me to like talk to people like Hideo Kojima, you know, et cetera. And I was like, look, I need to become an editor. This is silly. I'm giving them these business cards. It's a strategy guide editor. Like, it makes me look silly. It makes you guys yeah. look silly. And they were like, well, there's no raise for you. We can't do that right now. And I was like, screw a raise. I just, just give me the title. Just give me a new job mm-hmm. without a raise. And so they did that. And then that was the position I was let go from. But I had already been doing a lot of tech coverage and I had that was sort of in my blood. And they wanted to start a new tech section on the site. So the same day they laid me off, they said, we're opening uh, a position as, you know, tech editor from spot or whatever. And, and they, they couldn't offer me the job. I had to apply for it. Um, I did get it, which, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what was happening behind the scenes. Like if that was already supposed to happen or not, mm-hmm. I have no idea, but yeah. So they, they had let me go. And then I was rehired about a week later. And then that was, that was, <laughs> That was so bittersweet. I mean, how do I how do I take that job when it's like, but these other people who have been here longer, who yeah. like, you know clearly have GameSpot like under their skin, are sort of just sent adrift. Um, but it was it was very difficult for me, and and I still it's you know the the wound is still fresh in a way <laughs> because it's uh, it, things feel very different, and I'm watching GameSpot change very rapidly, and it's not necessarily for the worst, but it's yeah. just it's just different and. Uh, but it is nice that I still catch up with you know people like Sean and Chris and Carolyn. I see them a couple times a year, and and for the most part, everyone's doing really well. So yeah. you know, at, at this stage anyway, like I can look back and say it sucked, but um, I'm really happy to see that people have bounced back. Yeah, and you mentioned it's not like a this is worse. It's just a this is different. And I think at the time, I would assume, of course, for you and even for me from a distance, I'd watched. Uh, and listened to and read all of these people for so long. And the, the first podcast I really got into were the hotspot days where Brennan Sinclair was the host and Tom was in there. And, um, I, I would like write in all the time. I would call <laughs> into those shows. So it's, it's so strange. I mean, I, I think a lot of people look at Giant Bomb as maybe the catalyst for personality based coverage in a lot of ways in terms of putting yourself out there. And, you know, a, people read your reviews because they know who this reviewer is and interested in their thoughts and they watch these videos because they know who these people are. But for me, around that same time, it was also GameSpot. So seeing all that change, uh, I, I think I was just starting to write. I think I might have written like my first feature or review for GameSpot when all of those layoffs happened. I remember from a distance being like, God, like, is this, is this what this industry is going to be now? Because that was much deeper into that time where it felt like, is everything just going to be a, a dude yelling into a camera about a horror game? Like, is everything just going to be someone on a stream, you know, doing shout outs to random people who keep typing in chat, shout me out over and over again. Like, what, where is this going? Uh, but yeah, I do think right now GameSpot has found a good balance because you still have a lot of incredible freelancers. You still push out a lot of incredible review work but i mean you mentioned the transition from you know the staff to getting laid off to getting hired again and you're you're there right now but how steep was the learning curve going from i guess at that point probably tech editor to reviews editor uh huge because i know you know GameSpot's review team is heavily comprised comprised of freelancers so you're in a sense likely adopting a certain group from kevin who had 
done that for so long and he probably has this secure group of like these are the people i can trust these are the people i work with all the time this is my sports guy this is my shooter guy blah blah blah. Uh, but you're also needing to bring in people who you can rely on people who you know people who you can trust so you're building a team of writers in a certain sense from a new list and a pool that's already existing was taking that role i would assume was intimidating but how intimidating was that incredibly intimidating uh I, I'm still learning. I, you know, I, I <laughs> look. When I got the job, it was a great opportunity for me personally, and it was one that was very scary because, as you said, like I was sort of, you know, t- taking over something of an institution, and and the people involved. You know, I <laughs> God bless you and everyone else because you guys were all very patient with me, and you know, I'm sure that I had some missteps along the way, and I'm sure that I still have some and will continue to, but. Um, you know, it's it's gotten to the point now where I feel like I'm finally starting to come into my own in terms of like having ownership over uh, reviews and the the sort of people that I get to work with. Um, but it's you know I, I still look around the industry at my peers who are in similar positions, and I feel uh, that I, I have a you know a long way to go, uh, lots of room to grow and improve. Um, well, you know, as a writer, definitely. As a manager, definitely. Um, I don't think I've gotten anything right just yet, but uh, you know, it was it was a challenge that uh, that I was that I was you know looking forward to. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, but it's it's been it's been a challenge. Yeah, and I, I would assume maybe even greater challenge than that because of course you were still reviewing stuff. You still every once in a while need to be like, all right, big game. I need to review that, but you don't have a regular editing team like an editing process in the same way that older GameSpot had where it's going through multiple multiple people i would assume i mean are you spending the majority of your time throughout the week taking these reviews from freelancers and you know anyone else who's writing reviews for you and spending a bunch of time editing like is that a massive chunk of your job since you are kind of the the final pass before it goes live well uh yes it's a massive chunk of my time but it's not necessarily the final pass so we don't we, you know, at one point in time, we had a, a copy editor on staff and, she, you know, she would take a raw text, make it look not so raw. <laughs> and then we would pass it around the team to, to, you know, to do peer review and handle that sort of, uh, you know, just general input. But, uh, but nowadays we, we use a contract copy editor, um, when we can. Um, and otherwise, even after that pass, I spend a lot of time editing first the final pass is really me sending it around to the team, you know, the, okay. the four or five editors we have in house here. And then there's a couple, uh, you know, in the UK and a couple in Australia. So, you know, in the event that I can send something overnight and I can wait, I will also send it to them. So thankfully it's, it's not just me, although I do still spend the bulk of the work, uh, you know, uh, of, you know, of my week is editing and working with writers to get a draft that's ready for the team. Do you have any universal review no-nos? Like you look at something and immediately like, oh, this they're using mixed bag. They're using, yeah. I, I was writing for IGN. I think it was, uh, Dan never wanted you to say title or game. Like there's like certain words that just be like, <laughs> just don't use this. It's, it makes you sound like too wordy or just a dumb review. Like do you have any of those? Absolutely. Uh, mixed bag is, is one. Um, polish is another though. That one oh, is yeah. like less, I think you can find ways to use polish. Uh, but yeah, mixed bag is just you know it's it's just cliche. It it, it makes you look dated. It makes yep. us look dated. Um, obviously, reviews that are you know fans of the series, you know things like that. <laughs> uh, for a while, one of the things Kevin instilled in me, and 
he's taught me so much, but I'm finally learning to like pick and choose the things that I, you know, maintain, uh, from that learning. Uh, but, but writing in first person is, is something that can be very tricky for a lot of authors because especially when you're critiquing something, you can very easily make the critique about, um, just about you. And obviously our reviews are subjective. Like mm-hmm. we do not write objective reviews, but when it comes to the conversation you're having with a reader, if you say to them, this thing is versus I think this thing is yep. the first one is immediately more, um, engaging. So I, I definitely try to avoid first person discussion like that, but, you know, relaying sort of experiential, you know, moments, uh, that, that's all well and good. And I'm, and I'm, you know, trying to give people more room now to do first person, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the list of no-nos, it, it shrinks. It's definitely shrinking. Um, because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to limit people's, um, you know, voice or ability to, you know, critique a game or, you know, examine a game the way that they need to. But, you know, we still want to sound current. We don't want to sound like we're just rehashing, you know, games writing as it's always been. Yeah, and it, it's funny. I think GameSpot maybe is the perfect example of the olden days, how reviews used to be, because there's reviewers tilt. There's a math equation that goes into old GameSpot reviews to a certain extent. I mean, I've talked a lot about that with Jeff Gertzman and other people from Giant Bomb, where, you know, it it was not an objective review, but it was almost close, where it's like, all right, this is the this is the math equation score, and then we're going to tilt it based on what the reviewer thought instead of modern reviews, where it's like, no, this is just what this person thought after they played it. Uh, you mentioned coming into your own with your reviews, your reviews team as well. How do you determine what's something that should be a part of the review itself and what's better suited for maybe an entirely different feature? I mean, what should and shouldn't be talked about in game reviews, especially for a site? You know, GameSpot is an established one of the you know, top two video game sites out there. I think there's a, maybe a certain expectation of the type of reviews that come out. Do you ever pull back on ones that you mentioned first person, maybe get too personal, get too out there with certain topics? Uh, I, I've pointed to this before. Austin Walker did an incredible review of Battlefield Hardline back in the day at yeah. Paste, which talked about police brutality, which maybe some people see that and they're like, I, I just want to know how the shooting feels. Like, how do you determine what's worth having in a review and what should be separated? Yeah, uh, you know, for the most part, I think the the baseline uh, measurement is, you know, is did something in this game move you a certain way? Like, did did you walk away feeling anything about a particular piece of the game? If yes, that's what you should be writing about. Okay. And a lot of times that does involve mechanics and you know the the the, the checklist, if you will, right? Uh, but there are other times when I get a review that will have sort of the checklist mentality, and I can tell. It's it's just description for the sake of of telling the person what's in the game, and that's not really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know if if there was a review that came in that really focused just on something like police brutality, right, and how that fit into the game, and that was the basis for the review, uh, I w- I would have to have a discussion with my editor in chief, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't gotten a review like that since I started um, managing reviews at Gamespot, so that I haven't really bumped into that scenario. Yeah. Um, would I be opposed to that? No, but do I think it serves GameSpot's typical audience? Um, and you know, what, what, you know, the job that I'm given is to, you know, essentially give that audience what we think they're looking for. It, it, it might be something that would be better suited for a feature. Um, and that's, that's probably to say more about GameSpot than maybe my own inclinations, because I would find a discussion such as Austin Walker's review far more interesting than a dissection of 
you know, gun feel or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, there is a formula. I feel like so many people who, especially when you're getting in early to uh, games writing, I, I, every once in a while, I get people who send me reviews. Uh, they'll listen to this podcast and be like, hey, can you look at this? I'm going to try to pitch this to someone. And it's amazing how much that standard review style has permeated into everyone's mindset where everything's, all right, here's the summary of what my review is going to be in the first paragraph. Immediately, the next paragraph has to be the story because everyone wants to know about the story after that. And then we're going to move on to how it feels. And if there's if the music stands out, the music stands out. Like, it, If you do get a review that um, doesn't, touch on certain aspects of that formula like do you think it's okay for review to not even really talk about the music at all if it doesn't stand out or not really focus on the gameplay if it doesn't stand out do you think it's more important instead of just having i need to hit this checklist to like what you said like what did i feel while i was playing this game what really stood out because in all my reviews i remember and this is something that maybe i could have done better at i would not really talk about sound design and i was younger josiah would have gotten angry because i was like no you got to follow the formula follow what everyone does but i late the more i reviewed stuff the more it just became unless this stands out unless this is something that really sticks out it's not worth covering i want to talk about what's important so if you get a review back and you don't really feel like you have a great idea of what the sound design's like or maybe even not a great idea of what the game looks like is that a big issue for you or is it more like you said just focus on what stood out yeah, no, it's not an issue for me. And I, I, I frequently leave out, you know, personally things in my reviews. And, and if, if ever I see apathetic writing, that is a, that is a, a huge red flag to me. So I, I would rather a review leave something out than just, you know, have it mentioned just for the sake of being thorough. Um, it's, you know, there is no formula for us. It's not like, you know, we certainly don't follow like, a, well, you have to talk about gameplay and graphics and XYZ. I think there are certain games, though, that do breed um, expected discussions, like going into review, like, uh, you know, take a game like Metal Gear Solid Five, for example, right? Yeah. Like, you want to know, at least I would think you would want to know, okay, what's the cinematic experience like in this game? Mm-hmm. Because that is one of the things that the series is known for. Uh, you know, clearly Kojima had been, you know, put a lot of resources into making that, a, you know, a big part of this game. I would like to see some discussion of that. But that said, if the review came in and it just felt like a calculated sort of submission, th- there would have to be a discussion of, yeah. okay, is, is this actually important enough to put in there? So, uh, you know, I do have certain expectations with many games that come in, but strong writing can definitely trump what I'm, what I'm hoping to see in a review. Like, if the author can sell me on something as a, as a piece of game criticism, I really don't have any grounds to step on their toes and say, well, you forgot to mention, you know, DLC or whatever. Like it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And speaking of strong writing and uh, the people you work with, I mean, how did you find or are you continuing to find freelancers that do kind of fill that criteria for, you know, non-apathetic strong writing that, you know, really goes for it? Because mm-hmm. I, I would say I, I would assume at least like 30% of the people who listen to this podcast are freelancers or are looking to break into freelancing so a lot of them are always wondering like what is an editor at this position at this level looking for so is there certain when you're looking for someone who you can be confident is going to hit embargoes deliver clean copy be consistent is a lot of it recommendations from people is a lot of it like submissions that you randomly get in your inbox and you're reading through you know there are eight different links so what's kind of your process right now well okay so I'd say, you know, the, the best freelancers that I've taken on have been through uh, recommendations from other people, certainly. 
but the the sort of cloud that hangs over GameSpot's freelance system is the fact that because we belong to a company that's so big, liability is always an issue from the top to the very bottom. We have to go through a sort of complicated service to take on freelancers. I can't get a pitch from an individual for a review and pay them for that one review. Yep. We basically can only take on freelancers that are established in the industry, more or less. And, and by that, I mean they can prove that we are not their only client, more or less, mm-hmm. when it comes to, to being a contract uh, journalist. So that does limit what I can and can't do, um, unfortunately. Now, I, don't, I do get you know, some emails from people who want to write, uh, but it's, it's not that frequent. What I usually do is I have peers that will say, hey, I have a friend. I really like his writing. Here's some of you know, their stuff. Can you take a look at it? And more often than not, yeah, like I, I do see, I do see that there are, there's a lot of great games writing out there. I see a lot of, um, you know, competent writing, competent games criticism. It's very rare that you you find someone that is like, oh gosh, this is the next Austin Walker. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that that doesn't really happen. And maybe that says a lot about Austin Walker than it does about <laughs> you know, the, the other freelancers out there. But um, it, it it's tricky. Uh, it, it's very tricky and. Like, you know, there, there's been some very interesting freelancers. Uh, like, uh, one of my favorites is Brett Todd, mm. who is a literal mayor in Canada. It's so great. And yeah, and he's a freelance reviewer for us. And, you know, he, he wrote the Divinity Original Sin 2 review, which we recently gave a 10, which is a very rare thing. Uh, which I should disclose, obviously, Kevin Van Oerd works on that game. But, yeah. you know, his check bounced, so it's not a real <laughs> But lately, I've been seeing a lot of very strong writing coming out of uh, the UK and Australia. Yep. And we're lucky, I'm lucky, that we can actually, in those regions, take on people on a case-by-case basis. So, uh, like Richard Wakeling, for example, is someone who's been writing for us recently, whose work I just adore. The copy comes in, it's very clean, very you know strong opinions and well-reasoned. Um, and, you know, if, if only I could jump on every writer who exhibited those qualities to me, but it's, it's just kind of tricky. Like I gotta, I gotta sign someone to an annual contract and they have to provide all these receipts and, and do all these things. So, uh, it, it's unfortunately more difficult than I'd like it to be. I mean, it's as someone who's been there, it's a process, like the, the yeah. process of, you know, going through that, that system. I remember it being like very different than anything else I had ever worked with. Uh, and you're right in terms of there aren't a lot of just not to blow smoke up Austin Walker's, Austin Walker's right. ass, which I have done a few times now on this podcast, but I can't help it. I remember when we were both writing, he wrote like just a couple of reviews at GameSpot when Kevin was there and I was there. And I remember I would turn in copy or turn in a review and see it published. Be like, man, that was a good one. I'm happy with how that turned out. And then he would publish something and just be like, God damn it. Like, really? <laughs> like, it's the kind of, the kind of writing that you are jealous of in a very positive way where like, I, there's people out here like this. And I would assume it's, it's they're they're difficult to find because you're probably going through just piles and piles of stuff that that reads the same, looks the same, doesn't really have that individual voice. Sounds more like it came out of a um like an automated here is a regular review structure kind of system, a tool like that. So yeah, I would assume it it, it takes a lot to to find those people who you can trust and make sure that they are, you know, going to not just deliver a clean copy, but do something that reads differently than normal reviews. Uh, and I would also assume it's difficult to decide what to review since at this point there's early access, there's indie games. I mean, the fact that like when 
PUBG came out, like who knew that was going to be as massive as it was? It was just some early access game. And now like that review might be one of your most trafficked articles, you know, in a long time, whenever that, uh, that did you guys write a review of that yet? Or just you, you wait till it actually releases. Uh, so we did early access reviews a few years ago and then we stopped for a while. Uh, we're currently in the process. Uh, it should happen very soon. Um, where we will be scoring uh, early access reviews, which we didn't do in the past. Mm-hmm. And we're waiting for that system. It's literally like a back-end thing our engineering team is working on. Um, we did it recently for reviews in progress. And so we are we are now scoring reviews in progress, which helps us not have to write two reviews. <laughs> yeah. Because in the past, we would have to do that. Um, and and this, is, this all comes down to how meta, you know, we didn't, Scoring a review and then having like Metacritic take that score, but having that be fixed was like a thing we didn't really want to deal with. But they've they've sort of acquiesced and said, okay, if you make it very clear to the reader that this review isn't you know the final review, we will consider your score provisional. So, yeah. so we've got that in place, and we're trying to do that for early access reviews. And PUBG will be the debut review of that. Uh, but deciding what to review is very difficult i mean there's obviously the triple a expected stuff you know the very popular games we very much have to to do that like there's 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 no question there um when it comes to lesser known games you know a lot of it comes down to you know who is someone passionate about the game is that person you know internal are they a freelancer um do we have any sort of like you know traffic you know measurements that we can weigh against expectations like things like that it and it's definitely not a science. I mean, it's an art that has been plopped in my lap and I have to try to, you know, make it look pretty. And it's sometimes, you know, you, you put up a review and everyone's happy about it, but no one cares. Yep. No one no one reads it and you think, man, what did I do wrong? Like, you don't know if it's just the, you know, was it the direction of the wind that day? Or was it <laughs> was it the number of games that came out? You know, it's, it's, it's hard to tell because sometimes you'll publish a review of a smaller game that just takes off and people are super surprised and... And happy to see that, like, you went out of your way to do something about it. So it's, you know, we're constantly adjusting our methodology and trying to figure out how to best serve the needs that, you know, our audience is telling us, but then also try to help them discover new things along the way. Things that we're passionate about are things that at least look interesting. Yeah, not knowing what will take off, I bet, is, like, frustrating and also just interesting to kind of play around with in terms of what you're reviewing. I remember way back when I was writing with for Kevin, he sent me this game called Remnants of Isolation, which is, like, this 90-minute, 16-bit type of, like, RPG that was on Steam, which, like, I remember writing that review and, like you said, going, like, oh, I think that was pretty good. I think that was a great review. I bet seven people read that. Like, no one has ever yeah. heard of that game uh maybe for good reason it was not exactly incredible but then there's um polygon review dead cells while it was in early access and at the time i had no idea what that game was and that the way the steam release went like window works you could look at it and be like cool it's it's out and then an hour later it's on the bottom of the list because there's 18 new train simulator dlc packs (laughs) that have already come out but that review got me interested in the game i know a lot of people had not that much, you know, interest in the game until they saw like, oh man, they got a nine out of ten, this early access game. And from there, I really feel like word of mouth spread. So I would assume it's it's kind of just a bit of a guessing game on which of these early access games or which of these small indie games are worth covering because you might be the you know, you might spark a conversation about the game as a major site when you talk about it, or you might be the first review of something that's about to take off and then you get a lot of traffic out of that. So I would assume you're you're juggling. You're trying to figure out which of those games is worth your time. Yeah. And it's, you know, trying to focus on what's coming out on the various platforms, especially now that it's so easy for people to publish games. 
It's very difficult. It's very difficult to, you know, identify, let alone just keep up with with what's come out and just be even be aware of it to begin with. Because you're doing that, you know, I'm doing that on top of, obviously, you know, reviewing my own games, editing work in-house, talking to potentially hiring new freelancers, having like editorial meetings, like having a personal life, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, the, the whole job is is very difficult. So it's like the, the influx of games that comes out now. Um, it's exciting in a lot of ways, but it's intimidating when it comes to, for you know, for me to actually like make a call. Yeah, you became a reviews editor at a very difficult time. <laughs> like, this is just so much out there. Uh, do you think there's any value in reviewer consistency when it comes to reviewing multiple games in a series or, you know, an original game in a sequel? Because I, I remember I was doing, I did a lot of the, the Madden and NBA 2K reviews at the time. Mm-hmm. So people can kind of trace, like, all right, here's what he thought about 2K14 versus 2K15, what was improved. Uh, but I also think it's really interesting to see entirely different maybe even diametrically opposed opinions on a sports game like i think there's a certain interest in my brain of like what if we get someone who doesn't really love basketball to play an nba 2k game and see how opaque it is like see are the tutorials actually useful because person doesn't understand the series they're not coming in with these preconceived notions and this idea of how it plays so do you think there's value in the person who reviewed call of duty last year to review the new call of duty if that's a possibility do you try to line things up like that I I don't actually no I don't try to line things up like that I can totally understand the benefit um, when it comes to looking at like the bigger picture like after the fact like okay how has this thing evolved you know this one person is you know everything is relative to that one person mm-hmm. um, and for the reader it, it I think can help because they're not sort of shocked and you know I don't know that readers always look at the author and uh, and really consider like oh this is a different person like what's their yeah. background where do they come from you know. In fact, I think that 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 is that is really the case. Um, unfortunately, we for a while back when we had the bigger team before the layoffs, we would do secondary reviews, and I actually did a review of uh, the original Titanfall. Now, someone who doesn't play competitive shooters, who doesn't really care about that, and so here is a game that is shit, and that's all it is, right? Yeah. Um, and that was a really fun exercise for me, and uh, I, man, I can't remember how the audience reacted. I, I think GameSpot's a weird beast because people don't necessarily look to us for those unexpected takes. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly don't try to just give people what they want. You know, we don't try to give them an opinion based on what we think they're trying to hear. But it's you know we do we do want to provide a service more or less to a general audience. So if if we go too far left field, we are potentially you know not doing our quote unquote job. Yeah. But I, I think those reviews are fascinating, and and I would love to to see more of them in general, and if possible, do more of them in Gamespot. The out of left field review takes at Gamespot. It's it, I will always think of the Nick Capazzoli Dead Rising Three review. Like it always comes to mind immediately. <laughs> where that was, I think, a three out of ten. It was of like the PC version of that game, and yeah. that's the kind of thing where people kind of have this disconnect between. I think the original view is like a seven or an eight, and then his comes out an entirely different reviewer who gives it this low score and just hundreds upon maybe even thousands of comments talking about that can it ever be frustrating because i think you're right people don't always immediately key in on the author's name they just know it's a GameSpot review so can it ever be frustrating to read comments and see people talk about <laughs> reviews at GameSpot? like it's just one big corporate entity that churns out reviews rather than individuals with individual opinions because I, i've read comments in my reviews of course where it just says like GameSpot 
always hates these type of games or GameSpot is in Sony's pocket. When in reality, because you're so freelancer based, I would say the majority of people who review games there maybe have never even been inside the GameSpot offices. They've never had contact with anyone other than you. Is that frustrating at all? Yeah. <laughs> is there any other answer to that question? I, I mean, guess not. <laughs> um, it's it's incredibly frustrating. I mean, the only thing that helps me like just you know take a breath and relax is the fact that I know that less than one percent of our readers comment. Yeah. And and I know in life it's typically the person who's upset that's going to make the most noise versus someone who is content. Um, so you know it, it's it's very frustrating. I. It, it bugs me that we can't pay to have like full-time moderators on comments because I think, you know, it's not just GameSpot, but, you know, just comments have gotten so toxic all over the place now. And it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of, it's gotten out of control across the internet. It's a problem everywhere and we're no different. Um, and I think the one thing I'm pushing for, I, I don't think, yeah, maybe it'll happen, who knows, but, you know, a score is a problem. I, I think scores can serve a purpose for some people, but I think scores also um, twist twist the relationship of criticism um, for for a lot of readers because yep. you know obviously it's the easiest thing to focus on, right? You can you can set aside all the nuanced arguments and and reasoning that you know was you know people worked really hard to to get on that page, and you can just look at that number and say that's bullshit. Yep, <laughs> you know screw this guy screw GameSpot, xyz uh it, it is incredibly frustrating and you know anyone in this industry needs really thick skin or at least you know uh Im- impulse control so they just don't even look at the comments yeah and and it's sad beca- because that's you know that's in a way become my default uh is just to is to not look um which sucks because there are commenters out there who actually do want to engage you and it's not just the ones that have positive things to say. Like, obviously, that's nice. But people who raise questions, who want to talk about the points that you brought up in your review. And they get they get lost in a sea of people who, uh, frankly, are just, you know, they're angry because their opinion's been invalidated by a number. That's almost, that's like, that's the core of it. That if you want to boil it down to why people are angry, it's almost always that. And I go back and forth on review scores because you mentioned kind of GameSpot reviews as a service for people who you know just want to you know not read this out of left field thing to understand is this game good and I think sometimes if you're in a hurry if you're not someone who wants to dig deep into games criticism if you go to that last paragraph read that and then look at a score you can have an idea of whether or not it is worth dropping $60 on something sometimes that's just like that's all I need but then to boil down all of the work you put into review into a all right now I need to make this a seven and sometimes people will see a seven and be like I don't need to read this this game's just average and you're like I put I put time in this there's 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 value in this game beyond that score I, I do go back and forth on that and the comment thing uh, so many comments and I know this is someone who's replied to comments in the past before I, I maybe I knew better uh, you. It's amazing how the conversation changes if you just respond to people like a human. Like when you see someone get angry and just say like, hey, here's why this happened or here's why this is this way. And then immediately you get either an apology or like a way more um, calm kind of response than that initial comment. Uh, my, my friend Jake Baldino, who does the Game Ranks YouTube channel, which now is like 4 million subscribers, something like that, replies to all comments. And that sounds like my personal hell. 
uh, just like sitting on YouTube and reading all these comments on like one of the more popular channels and, you know, seeing what all these people say about your face or the way you talk or in my oh, case, yeah. it would always be the way I write. But I do think there is a certain value to just addressing those people and kind of creating that that sense of like, hey, look, the person who's doing this is actually reading these comments, is actually considering what you're saying, is actually talking to you. Um, similar to that conversation we had before, it's not this nameless, faceless thing. It is this person or this group of people. But I would assume just the task that would be for you guys to moderate comments in that way to reply to these people is monumental and probably impossible. You know, I don't know if it's impossible. I think we could do it. But just speaking personally, because uh, that's really all I can do, um, you know, it it takes a toll on your, your self-esteem and your confidence and your, your, you know, your idea of yourself and your, your capabilities when you're, you're sort of, you're met with a lot of this, you know, blind hatred all the time. And it's sometimes a self-preservation to not expose myself to it. Yeah. Um, it it's, it's not easy to face that day in and day out, uh, you know, with a level head. And I mean, you're right. Like you can respond to some people and they will, you know, take a step back. And, and sort of ground themselves in reality. Yeah. But, but I, don't, I don't always have the spirit to do it, you know? Um, especially when I feel like the audience is opposed to what I'm trying to do. Uh, that, that, is, that is when I sort of have to remove myself. And, it, and it, you know, it sucks for me to have to feel that way. And yeah. I understand that people want to share their opinions, and I want to hear them as well. But uh, it's, man, it, it can take a toll, at least on me. I'm a sensitive boy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I always thought I had thick skin until you start reading those comments. Like, and also it, it always depends because there's a certain amount of when you're confident enough in your writing or maybe your opinion on a review, you can get pissed off at a comment, but usually it doesn't like ruin my day. I think for me, it's, it's more if people listen to a podcast of mine and see me on a video and then you get those comments you're like oh man that's not even about my writing you're just talking shit on me as a person <laughs> like that's a different level was that something that because i know you've done you've done some video stuff you guys have done some podcasts and you're uh, on the giant bombcast from time to time which that community is pretty encouraging for the most part so i assume it wasn't yeah you're not getting bombarded in that way but when you weren't writing and you were actually putting yourself out there in a video or audio capacity was that as a as a sensitive person, was that like harder for you to see comments like that, or have you avoided those like the plague? That's that's a good question. You know, I I'm not one to to watch my own videos or yeah. like I don't I personally don't like seeing myself in front of camera. Um, and the idea of doing that at all was very strange to me. Um, if you go back, I think my first first on video thing at GameSpot was on the set of one of the live shows, whatever iteration it was. Um, and it was for like Soul Calibur 5 or 4. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I didn't say a word. I was, <laughs> I was on camera for like 15 minutes. Just this awkward thing just on the set that they had put there. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, but over the years I've gotten more comfortable and I sort of, um, I look at these as opportunities to to hang out with people that I respect and talk about games in, in a way that I respect. So I, you know, for better or worse, I sort of don't necessarily, I don't, I, I don't care if, if people think my opinion is right or wrong. And so it, I'm, especially like in the video stuff, A, I don't want to see myself and then B, you know, I've sort of done my job. I feel like I, not, not my job as it's prescribed to me, but I've done the thing that I set out to do and I'm yeah. moving on to the next thing at that point. Um, 
But the thing that really gets me, like, I'll be sad if, you know, people don't like my work and I'm in a review and that, that's bothersome. But what really makes me upset and angry is when I see my fellow editors attacked and belittled. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that, is the, that is the time when I unfortunately lack restraint in the comments. And I, and I hop in there and I maybe throw a fuel in the fire. Um, but, the, yeah, the video stuff, no, that doesn't bother me too much. Yeah. I, don't get, I don't get a lot of negativity, at least that I see from that. You can always like it's hard to look at your own review work, and even if you've been doing this for a long time, every once in a while I would get like, and Kevin Van Orden's, you know, I've looked up to him as an editor for a long time. So every once in a while, when you get like certain like constructive criticism back, you like cringe because you're like, oh, I'm a terrible writer, I'm the worst person <laughs> in the world. This is the why would anyone ever pay me for this? Uh, but you get used to that, and you know, looking at stuff makes you better. And but with any time I've ever been on video or uh, doing podcasts and stuff like that, that's always been even more difficult to watch and try to get better from because you don't, you have to watch yourself every once in a while to understand like okay i do this too much or maybe i need to work on this but to watch yourself on video is maybe the most difficult possible thing i've now heard my voice for upwards of you know well all my life but i've heard it recorded for you know <laughs> hundreds of hours at this point because i listen to all of these podcasts before they go live so you get used to that but video is the one thing where i'm like I don't think I'll ever fully be... I was a theater kid too, but I don't think I'll ever fully be comfortable like watching myself on video. It's terrifying. And I, not to make you over, you know, think about it too much, but when with you and you're on one of those videos where thousands of people are watching, I think that has to be a little, a little intimidating. It's, I mean, it, it took me years to feel comfortable. So uh, yeah, it was at a point in time and then I just started ignoring the camera more or less. Yeah. Maybe that's the way you need to do it. Just pretend there's no camera there. Like, just completely yeah. ignore it and look at everyone else and just hope that no one notices. Uh, last thing, because we've talked a lot about, you know, reviews throughout this podcast, which is what I love to do. So are, are you happy with the current state of games criticism overall? Not to get way too deep on the final question, but <laughs> I, I think it's clear we've come a long way from when you started, when I started. Um, when it seemed like there was a scare where reviews weren't even going to be a thing and everyone was just going to be on YouTube to now we have Waypoint, we have, um, we have different places like Polygon and GameSpot and even smaller sites like Pace Magazine that have really thoughtful, interesting games criticism that tackles things that we were never able to tackle before. We go beyond just, you know, does this game feel good? We, we talk about the cultural impact and we've, if games are art, we need to talk about them and treat them as such. And I feel like we're not there yet, but we're getting closer. But is there any specific area or anything that you think we can get better at in terms of games criticism collectively? Even if we are closer to where we want to be, do you think there's any kind of gaping holes that movie criticism, book criticism, music criticism has already done better than us? Uh, yeah, separ separating the, the cultural identity of the people who um, relate to games, uh, I think, is the the first thing that has to happen because mm -hmm. we, you know, we are at the point now where everyone plays video games. This, this idea of a gamer, if I ever see the word gamer in a review, I, <laughs> oh, yep. I strike that out a hundred percent. Speaking of no notes, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man, like <laughs> this, this, this whole idea that we're somehow special because we know what super Metroid is. Like, I think that informs, um, you know, a, a lot of the, you know, so-called problems that are left in games criticism. And I think, you know, you can have the, the functional sort of practical game review that can exist and that's fine. You can have a happy medium, which I, I you know, I, I hope we're striking a balance with a game spot. And I'm really enthused to see the, the work that you were, you know, discussing at Pace Magazine and places yeah. like that. Like it's, I, I think we're in a really good spot overall because we can, we can have the, those breadth 
of, uh, you know, discussions. But I, do, I think the, the gaping hole is simply, um, I mean, fuck, man, look, look to Gamergate, right? Like, yep. th- that's a, that is a sign of a symptomatic problem that not only, you know, is a portrayal of how perhaps a small section of the audience will react, but, you know, how that informs our own uh, direction as, you know, editors who are trying to, you know, manage the way games are discussed. You know, it, it, we don't think about it. Like, it's not like I'm saying, oh, well, what would Gamergate say? Maybe I should adjust my <laughs> thinking. But, but look, I mean, it's, it's, it's there among many other factors that sort of push people to think about games in one way or another. So this, this idea, you know, you talk about f- film and book criticism. It's, you, what do you call them? Like, filmers like yeah. what, like what someone goers, who likes... which i guess is a thing but not something that yeah but you don't defines see people... you no not unless you live on the imdb forums i guess yeah. but, but no, i don't, scary, I don't even want to talk place. to those people that sounds no. terrifying <laughs> um yeah i mean i think you know the games criticism as a whole is i is it's this living beast that is growing in really fascinating ways and is stagnant in some ways and until uh, until this sort of you know uh this like snow globe of gamerdom is shattered. It's going it, to, we're, we're going to be stuck for a while, but I, you know, I guess if there's one thing that I recommend to freelancers in general, but just, you know, that will make games criticism healthier. If you have something to say about a video game, if you feel very passionate about it, just write about it. Yeah. Now I'm not saying give that to someone to publish for free. Like don't work for free, obviously, but have your own voice, make your own YouTube channel. If you got to do something like that, if, if individuals, and I think more and more I'm seeing this, if individuals can separate themselves from the, the, the mass that follows games and really just hunker down and, and find their own voice, things will get better over time. Yeah. Um, and, and I just hope to see more of that. And I hope to support that kind of writing as best I can within GameSpot's framework and encourage people to do it at large. Um, so yeah, yeah I that's... Guess I'm, a, I'm against gamers, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... If anyone ever asks me for advice or, uh, like, reach out over email about stuff like that, I think that's... It's very similar to what you said right there, where you got to find your own voice, which I think in almost in most cases will be different than what's out there because you don't want to make up a voice or make something up that's different for the sake of being different and suddenly you have a YouTube channel where... I don't know, you're relating video games to fruit, that's your hook, and suddenly here's yeah. my fruit video game review game channel, and it's like, oh, what's different, so it's going to work. Like, no, you got to take a step back and figure out what works best for how you talk about games, how you look at games, and if you don't know what that is, then, you know, find what you're passionate about and just write about it, or just make a video about it. Like, that's yeah. that's how you find that, and the the gamer identity, I think, is one of the major barriers right now for this type of stuff that you were talking about, where, like you said, you don't call people a a bookie or a, a movie guy like you don't <laughs> the games are so people who play video games that really really hardcore segment their personality their everything is so closely tied to that identity of i yeah. am a gamer that right because you used to yeah saying you like video games used to make you you had to be make yourself vulnerable and wear exactly. it as a badge of honor like i'm a fucking nerd yep you know what i mean and i'm proud of it and so that's now become bigger than <laughs> bigger than that small subsect of people 
And those people might have even been like bullied in school or like, you right. know, maybe didn't have the most friends. So they used games as kind of like, ah, this is what I do. This makes it feel comfortable. And now that when there's two fold, like two layers of that, when you say that the game they like is shit in a review or maybe just not a 10 and a seven or an eight instead, you're not attacking the game. You're attacking something that is related to them is their identity is something that makes them feel comfortable. And now that this idea of a gamer is so wide now where everyone plays games this thing that maybe they felt unique about earlier on they don't want a whole bunch of people to get in here so it's this two-layer thing of like stay out of my games also make sure that your opinions on the games i like are correct and not lower than what i assume it should be and and if there's one more thing i can add uh maybe to you know for the freelancers out there is can consider why you want to you want to do this job why, why you want to write about games because i see you know a lot of people who sort of idolize the identity of you know someone who writes about video games and, and they sort of attach this um this imagined reality of like what that means right or they look at a place like GameSpot, or they look at a place like uh like polygon and it's it's this monument that you know they want to touch in a way they want to put their fingerprint on it but it's i mean <laughs> I, I I like working at GameSpot. I like working with the people I work with. The exposure is nice, I guess. Um, but really, what I like doing is just being able to write about games and 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 live my life. And like, it's an extension of that desire. It's not GameSpot was never the goal, right? Yeah. Like, it wasn't like I want to be the best game critic out there and I want to work for GameSpot.com. I, I just wanted to talk about games. So freelancers don't. <laughs> The last thing you want to do is tell someone, look, I want to be the best games critic or, you know, yep. this website means a lot to me because the website shouldn't mean anything to you. What mm-hmm. should mean something to you is the opportunity to, to really talk about games and, and potentially be heard. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's that's the that's the main thing. I think it goes back to when you were talking about not being a massive fan of GameSpot when you first got there. And so you're not, not, at all. not yeah, you're not looking at it as like, oh, I, I want to do things just like Jeff used to do or, oh, here's all these references I know. I, I think coming in with a, you're not always going to come in with a clean slate. Like I, it would be awesome. Like I would love to work at Giant Bomb one day and I already have all of these, you know, I've been a fan for a long time. So it's impossible to eliminate that, but not going in making the site the goal the the, the job should be if, if this is what you want to do if you want to talk about games in some way whether that be video whether that be writing or if you want to just be involved in games and development like I, I think that should be the goal rather than there's this one perfect spot and that's where i want to go yeah and it's man it's a <laughs> and it's tough for freelancers i'm i'm not diminishing that at all but also like you know we're talking now it's what well it's past 8 a.m but i get to the office at 7 a.m a day every day yeah and i work like 12 hours a day pretty much yeah it's a it's a thankless job in a, in a lot of ways so you know it's uh it's not maybe all it's cracked up to, it's not what it looks like let's put it oh, that it's, way. it's very different <laughs> yeah it's like if you're if you're in this for a whole bunch of money and just to play games and that's your entire job then you have no idea what you're getting into like that's not it's not just a it's not just a job where you play video games and get paid to play video games. I play like, video games like maybe an hour a day. Maybe. <laughs> Plenty of days I don't play any because I'm so busy doing stuff otherwise. So, yeah, people assume yeah. you're just at your cubicle playing games, but that, that's not I don't even have a cubicle. Jeez. What? Really? What? Do you, do you have an office? Well, it's no, no. I mean it's the it's the open seating arrangement. Oh, there's yeah. No, there's no walls between anyone. It's just yeah. So you won't even have your own space. Oh, well, <laughs> 
<laughs> if you want to apply a game spot, there you go. Uh, <laughs> it's great. I'm just kidding. So, uh, Peter, last last thing. Uh, where can people find you on social media? And, I mean, it's October right now, so I'm guessing things are about to get crazy. What's coming up on GameSpot that you can talk about other than just a, a bevy of AAA reviews? Uh, what else? Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, that might be it. <laughs> no, yeah, no. You know, we are... Um... We're putting a lot of effort into making uh, like guide content right now. So you know, if if there's a game like Cuphead that that you want some you know insight into, like we're trying to sort of do more of that, and we're really putting the people in the office that are really passionate about those games behind those things. So I think we're making some cool stuff there. Um, but yeah, this season is really going to be a lot of a lot of reviews, a lot of the sort of meat and potatoes that we have to put out there. Um, I can tease like one thing that I did. I was at TGS recently. Um, mm-hmm. And I had an interview with Suda51. Oh my god. He's releasing a, uh, a sequel to the Silver Case called The 25th Ward. Uh, and not really knowing much about that series, I kind of just didn't... I just wanted to talk to him about, like, okay, you know, what did you put into this back in the day? Like, who was it that made this game? So it's a, it's a brief but entertaining little interview uh, about, you know, sort of where he, come, where he came from, how he views a metropolis, and maybe all the, the horrible things that happen within, there, within that that scenario and uh, sort of, you know, the context at the time was the idea that, uh, you know, the, the government in Japan was sort of like fitting out this like last part of Tokyo with these like huge high rise mansion, like tower things that they had, they would like pick and choose who got to live there. And, and what do you do? You know, what happens when people are, are thrust into quote unquote paradise, even though maybe they weren't ready for it and you know, what comes from that? Um, so it's a small but fun little interview I'll probably publish in the next week or so awesome um, so yeah maybe look forward to that but you can find me on social media at PC Brown and that's that's basically it I don't I'm not on there too much um, I don't tweet a lot of GameSpot stuff I don't shit posts <laughs> <laughs> I mostly I mostly like to tweet about retro games because I am a, I'm a well once avid uh, vintage game collector now a little more selected selected in terms of you know what i'm after but uh that's the stuff that makes me happy so i like to yeah. tweet about that well if people want to shit post at you they can tweet at pc brown and then you can oh, yeah. post. yeah if there's any reviews that they hate if they're like hey that one score you gave to a game fucking five years ago here's here's my long hate chain here's my 40 tweet thread all about this don't do that please don't tweet peter all of this shit um <laughs> i i still get stuff from angry people and i haven't written a game spot in like two or three years uh peter thanks so much for doing this it's i remember when kevin first left and there's so many staff changes and I, I knew you were taking on that role and i was like that's got to be one of the most difficult transitions one of the most difficult switches that you're gonna have but i, I think you've done an incredible job with it I, I really you know still enjoy reading GameSpot reviews whenever possible i think you have a great stock of freelancers uh, i love always reading your reviews and yeah, i look forward to the crazy fall season and seeing what GameSpot has cooked up for all these major releases. That's very kind of you. I I really appreciate coming on. It's been a good discussion. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks again. Thanks everyone for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099. (laughs)